Hi, I'm Todd Nathanson. And I'm Danny Roth. This is Song vs. Song. Today, we are doing the battle of the disco classics, the Bee Gees, Staying Alive, versus Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive. So, uh, I don't remember if we actually closed out the last episode uh, wherein you vocally, um, very immediately staked your claim. That certainly happened. I just don't know if the, if the kids <laughs> at home heard you do it. Um, but for the record, which song did you pick? I went immediately towards Staying Alive. Which, you know, for the record, I don't think Staying Alive is better than I Will Survive by a huge margin. I think they're extremely close. All uh, right. It's interesting. So I will I will say this. When you, when you called... When you called the Bee Gees, I got, um, I was not sure. I thought um, that was probably what I was going to pick. On first blush, that's where I would have went. So um, what I, I guess what I'm saying is when I knew that I was going to be taking Gloria Gaynor <laughs> at first, I was afraid. Oh, no. <laughs> I was petrified. Anyway, that was the joke that I had planned to make, and now the podcast is over. Go in peace. Why did you do that? <laughs> because it's required. I mean, like, if I had not done it, I got it out of the way. Really, you're welcome. Yes. Um, now we won't have to make... I don't think I have to make any more jokes out of the lyrics. I just wanted to say that once. Yeah. Well, you know, this was like the first time we're, we're uh, going a little before our times. That's true. It's very hard for you to pick songs before I was born because I'm so old. But uh, yeah, neither of these songs um, uh, became hits while I was alive. They're... They're both like one. Uh, I know that um, Gloria Gaynor. This that hit was like 1978. Mm-hmm. Um, firmly in in the middle of the Carter administration. Yeah, and the Bee Gees. I think was like at the tail end of '77 when Saturday Night Fever came out. So that winter would been November or December ish, and uh, and then the Bee Gees continued to rule the entirety of 1978 and I think 1979 also. Very good year to be a BG. You had your beard and your open vest and your medallion, and everything was going great for you. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, like, well, we'll talk about it in in a, in a minute. I was going to say things didn't really get bad until Jimmy Fallon was doing bad impressions with Justin Timberlake of of of, <laughs> uh, of the BGs. But no, that's not that's not true. Um, so this is again, uh, this is kind of similar to the last episode in a way, uh, where we talked about uh, Vanilla Ice versus MC Hammer. In that, disco went off a cliff in the eighties, just a goddamn cliff. Yeah, you know, I picked these because they are they are the disco songs, and you can make a case that these are these two songs are the songs people think of when you think of the entire seventies, staying alive, especially like when you imagine like. The 70s, that's the first thing that comes to a lot of people's minds. The whole genre slammed into a brick wall immediately after, and it was extremely uncool. And uh, there were, like, burning uh, CDs. I, well, no. <laughs> Did I just say that? No, they were burning vinyl in, uh, in Chicago's stadiums. It was a really unpleasant backlash that in hindsight, was really, really bad. It, like, morally bad that we hated disco so much. Well, all right. So, to, yeah. Yeah, to, to fill in the gaps, or a particular gap, um, disco was, uh, before it was popular, mm-hmm. it was um, 
it was dance music for the LGBTQ community. It was a it was the queer genre of music. That's where it started. Um, that is where it first got really big, and then the Bee Gees um, stole it. <laughs> they stole it away. Um, so this is cultural appropriation, and I've come to collect. Well, you know, the Bee Gees and Gloria Gaynor are extremely, like, different. They are. Yeah. They are extremely mainstream. This is why um, Gloria Gaynor maybe gets the gets the pass. Um, she gets the pass. Uh, black woman gets uh, is allowed. <laughs> White men maybe not so much. In fact, you know what? When uh, when when you said that we were going to do these two songs, and immediately took um, took the Bee Gees, uh, I made a decision right then and there. I said, uh, you know, I'm going to excise the Brothers Gibb from my mind. Not gonna think about them. Not gonna listen to their music. <laughs> um, they started a joke that started the whole world crying. So you know what? <laughs> Fuck the fucking Bee Gees. Too well, that bad. Was... That's it. I was I was I was done with them. Uh, so yeah, I, I I definitely did have a conversation with somebody who was who said essentially that the Bee Gees sort of robbed a disco from 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 the baby gay's cradle. <laughs> and used it to their own benefit, those monsters. Now, I don't know yeah. how, how true that was on account of I wasn't alive, but... Yeah, well, the Bee Gees are from the 60s. They That's were a, true. I, I, I believe I even heard them called Beatles wannabes at some point. There's That connection is a little weak, I think, but... It is. I, I was going to say, I mean, I, I, would, I would be much more likely to um, embrace... Um, John Lennon's opinion, which was that was ELO. ELO sort of became like <laughs> the 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 new Beatles. Um and Jeff Lynn was definitely trying to sort of ape their style in a number of ways or advance it and kind of in his way. The Bee Gees, yeah. I think, less so. Yeah, but the Bee Gees were a pop act in the sixties and the critics did not like them, but they were extremely popular. And then in roughly nineteen seventy five they released Jive Talking and they are completely on board with disco. And uh, the, I think the critics actually kind of came around for them. They started winning Grammys, and then they did the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, and they were through the moon. And they were they'd been around for like a ten, fifteen years at that point. Yeah, and, it's wild. I'm I'm sort of curious to see how many bands started off as being accused of uh, being Beatles ripoffs, and then went in a completely different direction. Because the Bee Gees are not the only ones to take up that moniker. You know, when the Moody Blues first came out. Um, one of their first big hits was called Go Now. Yeah, I know Go Now. And uh, and it, and people were like, oh yeah, these guys are going to be the next Beatles. And then all of a sudden it was like Ride My Seesaw and like it was, oh, they, yeah, they went, went a really weird direction. And well, I mean, the Beatles did too. They, But I think distinctly, I, don't, yeah. I think that there's a, a moment when you go, oh um, yeah, the Moody Blues are not going to be like the Beatles. And, and the Bee Gees I don't think are either, other than the fact that they rely on harmonies to a degree. Well, the B, the Bee Gees are pop royalty because you know they they were never a rock band and they never had that pretentious period. They were always you know trying to be the most popular act that they could, and they were very uh, mainstream all through their careers through the eighties. And <clears throat> I I don't think they were, did much in the nineties, but um, they have a they had a greatest hits album that had like a new song on it. Yeah. I seem to recall. I don't know it off the top of my head because as I mentioned. I excised the music yeah. from my mind. But uh, Gloria Gaynor wasn't, I mean, like, so she was really specifically in the dance scene. She was, uh, you know, she grew up pretty much impoverished. Her brothers, uh, all of her older brothers were, like, in, like, a, like a, a little band that they were in together. And she was not allowed to sing. That was, like, right out. 
and uh, and eventually her her younger brother like kind of became like her agent, her her support, uh, her manager, and she went out and and was allowed to uh, be a pop star, and yeah. she had some like hits. Well, you know, see, that's the big difference between Gloria Gaynor and the Bee Gees. The Bee Gees are like these towering, like pop gods, and Gloria Gaynor is kind of a footnote. Like she has "I Will Survive." That's her signature song. She's had a couple minor hits before then, also, but there, you, we were not in the seventies, so we. <laughs> no, I mean I can't really speak to it. I can go on the. Uh, I can take on faith that um, you know she would release sort of like these short albums, like kind of almost like EP kind of stuff, where like uh, it would be a bunch of songs, but they all were kind of continuous and were very ba- dance based, and people would just play them straight through. So in the dance halls, she was doing pretty well. And I would be willing to bet, like, because um, we mentioned that uh, you hit the 80s and then disco's basically over. But where it's over is uh, radio. Right. But um, I don't know if you have and memories. And MTV when it came out. It yeah. Was, they, it took them a long time to even play a single black person, period. So, But it, that's certainly true. Um, my and, uh, and I seem to recall David Bowie having some appear- opinions about that, actually. Uh, but uh, what I will say is that um, Disco found a particular home, and it was television, actually. Um, I was just looking it up to confirm the title because it was so far in the back of my mind. But uh, when I was a kid, I remember on uh, on the weekends, it might have even been Sunday, I would turn on the TV and be bored to death by Dance Fever. <laughs> Dance Fever was a TV show. It was a competitive. It was like kind of like a So You Think You Can Dance, except with all people that could actually dance, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, and it was pretty much all disco all the time. And that was a show that started in 1979. So really ostensibly at what should have been the end of the disco era and then ran until I think like um, it says here, 1987. So it did have a space. Uh, and on on that note... Um, it is worth noting that both of these songs that we are discussing, no matter how far you travel out from the moment of their release, they will unequivocally appear at proms. These are prom songs. Really? I have. N- I mean, I went to my prom, and I don't... They were really? Only playing was it already co- phased? I just assumed, because well, yeah, when I graduated, um, and when I went to my senior prom in 1998, and enjoy doing the math... Um, yeah, they still like these were songs that were played. Definitely, um, I will survive. That's like a that's like a that's as likely to be played at the end as Last Dance. Honestly, like they would sort uh, of get played in tandem. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. I went to my prom, and the only non modern song they played was uh, "Pour Some Sugar on Me" from 1987. So wow, you it, you really missed out. <laughs> No well, man in New Jersey. No, oh, maybe this is the reason. Mm-hmm. I hadn't even thought about this. So Gloria Gaynor is a Newark girl. She's oh. uh, she's from Jersey. So like, I, and in a way, I'm actually kind of glad that I uh, um, on accident wound up um, paired up with her uh, because we're both from the same state. I am not from Newark, obviously, because um, only people who really love airports are from Newark. That's a fact. <laughs> Don't look it up. Just trust me. Um, but yeah, like. Maybe that's why, but she, yeah, she always got played. That was a guarantee. But I feel that Staying Alive got got played a lot too because it was one of those things that um, 
you do the 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 dance you know the thing okay. where you point to your hip and then you point to the sky and such no i i mean i picked staying alive because staying alive was and you were talking about the dance shows my immediate feeling from staying alive is extremely visual from extremely watching tv and you know because you know staying alive is an iconic movie moment it is it's john travolta strutting down the street to you know and he looks like he thinks he's the baddest man on the entire universe and uh and then later in the movie he busts a groove to it uh but that's not what i'm talking about i'm <laughs> i know staying alive because i watched airplane over and over and over again <laughs> all right i, I had completely forgotten no they have an entire saturday night fever parody right in the middle of it and even through the lens of a goofy Zucker Brothers parody, I thought like watching Robert Hayes bust, do his best John Travolta, and was like, this guy looks like the coolest man I've ever seen in my life. And I did try and learn all the dance moves to it. I'm, this fa- is a- I'm fascinated by this. I feel, you know, I got to say, I'm really glad that uh, we're doing this podcast because this is some information that I don't think would have ever gotten revealed in a video. <laughs> like, this is some like real, like, Stuff that you should be telling your therapist and not the public at large. <laughs> no, it's extremely lame, and I've never told anybody. Well, <laughs> now everybody, now everybody is going to know. Everybody that listens to this podcast, which I assume is everybody. Yeah. Um. So, um. I what's this point out a thing about Gloria Gaynor and this song that 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 made her a star? However, uh, briefly, I suppose. Although it seems like it's continued into perpetuity, but um, it was a B side. That's the craziest thing about it. It was not intended to be a hit. There was a B-side. There was a DJ who um, had gotten the A-side, and he flipped it to hear it and said, um, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Who thought this was the B-side? This song pumps. And then he played it on the radio and played it constantly, and everybody fell in love with it. And then it started getting played nationally, and it became like her first really big number one hit. And then it just dominated everywhere for a while. And I would argue, yes, I think that it's just one of those songs that if you're if you're in a dance hall, it's gonna it's just gonna pop up. Yeah, whether as a joke or sincerely, it's gonna pop up. Well, you know, I, I talked about how I learned uh, "Staying Alive" from Airplane. I don't remember where. I first heard I Will Survive because it's just like been a constant presence. Like it has been like the biggest song in the world always, like since it's came out and it's just kind of never gone away. It kind of feels like it'll always be there. Like a hundred years from now, kids will sing it. Yeah. I, yeah. Here's the thing about it. Um, I gave it about five seconds of thought. I said, man, why is this song so pervasive? And then I thought, it's a song about a woman who's been treated badly by her man, and she's like, fuck you. That is a song that is going to have meaning <laughs> until the earth burns. Yeah, and it, it's a lot like uh, Aretha Franklin's respect in that regard. Yes, that to, like, the, to the point that Aretha Franklin has, in fact, covered this yes, song. Yes, she has. Um but uh, yes, it is kind of like that. And this is this was the moment when I when I was sort of sitting down and researching the song and and being a little nervous that um, that I was going to lose this match. 
And I may yet, because you know the details and I don't, yeah. uh, because that's how we do this podcast. You're I smart have the, and I'm, and I'm I a have dummy. the results in a sealed envelope. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think the moment that I thought, you know, I might have a shot at this, mm-hmm. is the moment that I realized, um, boy, I will survive, is always going to be relevant, and it's 2018. Boy, if there ever was a song for me <laughs> too, like, it is, I, it is, I will survive. Um, that is a real Time's Up song, like... <laughs> That is the one saying, like, we're all done. We all agree. We're done with this shit. Play, play it, Gloria Gaynor. Well, you know, you, t- you talk about it being relevant in the past couple of years. I actually saw a really, really tasteless attempt to uh, tie I Will Survive to whatever social movements there are, like, right after the election. And everyone's, like, you know, crying and sobbing because everything's going to be awful for the next couple of years. And they were absolutely correct. But... There was a bunch. There was a video of a bunch of uh, celebrities singing "I Will Survive." Oh, see, well, there's your problem right there. That's <laughs> yeah. Um, it was like Meryl Streep and Emma Stone, and I forget who else was doing it. Yeah, that's that's the mistake. You can't have rich old white ladies singing that song. That's a song that has to come like you know from people who are you know who are actually going to suffer for reals. Who can't like just use money to buy their way through the next four years of misery. Um, yeah, I would say that. Uh, Gloria Gaynor, she can do it. Uh, she's certainly allowed. And in fact, um, an interesting little tidbit, uh, there was a hurricane that went through Texas in 2017 and, uh, and she changed the lyrics, um, (laughs) to you will survive and was singing. She sang to Texas. That's pretty awesome. It's very nice. I have to say like, what a, what a sweet and decent thing to do. And, uh, and then another thing that I discovered is that, uh, and I mean, this may not be true by the time you listen to this podcast, but I believe that it will, uh, it will, this tweet will survive um, because it has survived so far as her pinned tweet since June 1st. Um, it is her pressing the button on the I will survive keychain, <laughs> uh, wherein it will, uh, it will sing you 20 seconds of I will survive. And what I really appreciate is that the tweet gives you the dimensions. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know what? Is it going to fit in my pocket or not? Uh, is my pocket going to survive? Um, and, uh, yeah, I just really like that she's, you know, A, using the song to help out the state of Texas. Very kind. Yes. But then she's also using it to make money through keychains. And I think that I also, you know what? Respect that. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure the Bee Gees would do that, too, if they didn't already have a, a giant pile of money that they have slept on at every day since 1973. But, you know... Staying alive is also about surviving. It's it's literally called staying alive. And it's about like not letting the big city get you down, but it's never become a real empowerment anthem, partly because it's not they're not Gloria Gaynor. Yeah, I will say that. Like the Bee Gees, interesting voices. Like that's sort of their thing, right? Yeah. When you hear a Bee Gees song, you sure as shit know it's a Bee Gees song. Just by the voices alone, you could subtract all instrumentation and just hear their voices and you would know. Unmistakable. But you know who's a better singer than all them dudes put together? Gloria goddamn Gaynor. You know, you know, I was um, I was listening to it, for, you know, just before I came in here and it kind of struck me that staying alive is kind of a macho song. Like it's a very male song at the very least. Like this is like them 
them feeling themselves like John Travolta They're strutting feeling themselves like John Travolta strutting down the goddamn sidewalk. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. I mean, like, look, it's a, it is. I will say this in its favor. Um, yeah. It is a very, uh, it's a good positive song for men. <laughs> like, are there any? I mean, like, here's the thing. Having again, to be clear, have excis, excised the Bee Gees from my mind. Yeah. But if I'm reaching back, if I'm going um, back through my timeline to a, a point in which I hadn't done that in order to um, prove a point, like a jerk. Um, I don't recall that song being particularly negative in any way. No, that's a you know it's a fun song and you can't really object to it. In fact, I, I I make the joke about it being a macho song because God knows any like actual like redneck at the time would have told you that it was the gayest song ar- al- around. That is, it's funny. Um, I don't. I wonder if that was true when the song came out. I genuinely yeah. don't know. It's certainly it, it like it certainly grew that way as the disco backlash. Yeah, yeah, I mean, again, growing up in the 1980s, uh, yeah. yes, disco in a word was gay, and I and I say that not to be disparaging. I am bisexual, pretty openly so. But like, yeah. certainly, growing up, it was uh, disco was an insult, and the and the insult associated was 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 a homophobic one. Yeah, and God knows, like. The- <laughs> They don't sound much, or they're they're they they're doing their falsettos up into the sky, so it's a it's a weird thing to say that they're in Macho's song. Like I I remember a, a rock critic friend who really loved rock and roll. It's like man, staying alive would be great if you know Springsteen was doing it. I for what it's worth, I do think Springsteen would indeed do a good version of it. But has he never done it? I don't think he has. So here's the thing. Uh, as a duly de- designated representative of the state of New Jersey, um, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll put out a word. Uh, you know, we all have his number. That's how it works. You're, you're born with it in your mind. Uh, so I'll give, I'll give the boss a call. Uh, now, again, he is the boss. I can't make him do anything he doesn't want to do, but uh, well-known fact when he goes out on tour. Uh, him and the E Street Band just play whatever. They pick a song and they do it. In fact, you know what? You talk for a second. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna check YouTube real quick because there, you know, there is a genuine possibility. I'm gonna Google it just roll fast to see because he may very well have done it. Um, continue continue what you were saying about the topic of staying alive. Well, here's a funny story. The original name of this uh, song was going to be Saturday because it was being written for the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. Okay. Why did this do this? Is this because of my Google? Because I, I previously Googled Staying Alive that it automatically did this, but I typed Bruce Springsteen into a Google search and it auto-completed with Staying Alive. That's weird. That's eerie. Google is listening. Oh, my God. He's done it. Oh, it my happened. God. He did it in 2014. I am shocked. I don't. That, I, I, we're looking at the screen right now, and that's amazing. I mean, listen, here's here's what I'll say. I knew I was in trouble the moment that, in fact, Bruce Springsteen had played with the E Street Band, with Tom Morello as, as part of the lineup now, um, as he has been for the last, I think, four or five years now. Probably the most wicked, banging, poppin' version <laughs> of Staying Alive I have ever heard in my life. It ruled. Just take our word for it. Yeah, I mean, no. Feel free to listen to it. I would, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say don't check it out. I, you know, 
if you have any doubts, if you don't, if you don't uh, respect the veracity of our claims, which you you may feel free. I mean, we are people that podcast for a living. Um, but yeah, I mean that. Uh, so that kind of that changes things a little bit. <laughs> that uh, the power the power of a good cover. Yeah, actually, if we're going to talk about covers, by all means, you know we like we said, we we both came to disco in the nineties. I think. That's when uh, that's when the big disco revival started happening. Yes, because the '90s were really just the '70s part two, right? And at, at first it was like, "Haha, remember disco?" And then, like the critics, I remember turning around on them and was like, "Going, yeah, yeah, actually, disco maybe was good, and maybe uh, we were all kind of horrible homophobes." That that's a journey that's still happening. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say we haven't really come out the other side <laughs> yeah. on that one yet, but sure. But I remember I will survive if I knew it from anywhere. It was from Cake. And this was before the, the, the tide started turning around on it. Like, I will survive was, has like never left the pop culture sphere. But that was like its biggest saturation point with, for me. Yeah, up. yeah like, they really took it the distance, <laughs> you, you could say. Um, yeah. Um, so. I will survive as a number of uh, of covers. Tons. <clears throat> I would I would say the notable ones for me certainly cake. Um, uh, I definitely think it is notable that Aretha Franklin uh, did a cover of it. I think it's notable that uh, Diana Ross did a cover of it. Uh, but you know who else did a cover of it? And uh, and I'll talk about them in a minute because it may not mean anything to anybody else. But speaking of things that were relevant in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Me first and the gimme gimmies. <laughs> well, uh, well, they were there, but well, here's the thing that yeah. uh, what's relevant about it is that uh, so me first and the gimme gimmies. It's not that they didn't release records, but um, or, or CDs. Now we can say CDs. This is a CD era. But the reason that most people knew me first and the gimme gimmies was because they would buy um, these hot topic um, compilation CDs. You know, they would show up on like uh, the Fat Wreck records um, compilations. That's certainly how I first became aware of like them and like Papa Gandhi and like all these sort of all the punk bands. Yeah, yeah, all these like yeah, like low rent punk acts. Um, that was NoFX one of them. I think. Well, NoFX is like the one. Like yeah. they're the reason that that um, that Fat Wreck was what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so. I became aware of me first in the Gimme Gimmies and a whole bunch of other bands from that era. Like, uh, and they all, you know, and like some, it would be like a little bit of punk, a little bit of ska. I think like Lagwagon would show up on that stuff. There's all different Goldfinger probably like appeared on things here and there. Who knows? Um, it was just a, a, a virtual who's who that they would put out these sort of like almost like mixtapes, really. And um, me first in the Gimme Gimmies had a tendency to do covers. That was like... No, that's the only thing they did. Yeah, that was their yeah. thing. That was like, that was their shtick, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I mean, lots of bands in the 90s did that. Less Than Jake did a whole album about Grease. Yeah. It was called Grease. Speaking speaking of th- 70s things that came back in the in the 90s. Yeah, Grease. Yeah. It sure had a big comeback, but um, and it had a Bee Gees song attached to it. Um, that's certainly what I, what I think of when I think of Grease. Yeah, well, they, I think of Grease as the word as the best song from that whole thing. Yeah, the, the Bee Gees did write that. That's by Frankie Valli who sang it. But oh god! But going back to Cake, uh, Cake's "I Will Survive" is kind of a meme cover. It is. 
It is weird. Well, the thing is that it's so different. That's the first thing. Like, it's not, I don't know that it was made to sound good. Cake has always had like this kind of distancing irony of it. And they, you know, they drop the F-bomb. I should have changed that stupid lock. And they changed that. uh, I should have changed your fucking lock. Yeah. And I actually saw Cake a couple couple months ago. And they did not play this. And in fact, Gloria Gaynor has said she hates that version. Wow. Yeah. She said it's her least favorite version. And it's 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 probably because of that F-bomb. Actually, I would be willing to say that that is probably the number one reason. It's also, I mean, again, I don't actually think it's a very good cover. Yeah, well, like I said, they didn't perform it. It's a it's a bad venue, but they had to cl- end their show early because they have like a strict curfew over at uh, Queens <laughs> Forest Hill Stadium or something like that. Oh, yeah. So I think they might have cut it for time, possibly. But, you know, Gloria Gaynor saying, you know, this is not a good cover, That I, I think that would hurt. I Yeah, it would hurt my feelings. I mean, that's a, that's a real bummer. But yeah, that's a very 90s ironic cover. Much it like is. the Me First and the Gimme Gimme's are. So. But um, but you know what's uh, come around? Um, there's a cover. There's a cover that came out, I would say, relatively recently. What's that? Demi Lovato did one. Oh, yeah. She did it for a movie. Which one? Uh, the answer to that question is the Angry Birds movie. Okay, that's disappointing. Um, listen, when I heard it, I was like, there's a real... I assumed it was going to be a movie soundtrack, and not only did I assume it, I was very close. I thought it was going to be from the Emoji movie. For sure. I was like, that's totally going to, this is like an Emoji movie cover. But it's not, it's actually, this is like a faithful one. This is not a slam. This is not her making fun of the song. It's very unironically doing it pretty straight. Yeah, well, I, I, I'll i be honest. I, I, I had to learn to appreciate I Will Survive because even growing up at that point, I Will Survive was just being beaten into the ground, not just by cake, but like it would show up in movies and it would be like it would soundtrack the the same scene every time. Like the whoever's feeling bad and I Will Survive gets them back on their feet. I feel like I watched that over and over again. And uh, it reached the absolute lowest point in the Keanu Reeves movie, The Replacements, where he's like. I had forgotten. <laughs> No, there's a there's a scene where him and all the football players, Orlando Jones is one of them. They uh, they start singing. They they got thrown in the drunk tank in the and they start singing "I Will Survive" out of nowhere. And by that point, I was like, "You've got to be kidding me! Like this is hacktastic." <laughs> and you know, like "I Will Survive" is a very direct song. You know what it's about. Like there's there's only one thing it's ever going to be about, even though it, it's. Actually, no, it's, it's, it's meaning has changed over time because, you know, the gays have made it theirs and it's not specifically about the LGBT community, but at this point it basically is. I mean, look, I think any, I think anybody can use it, but yeah, I mean, disco was, again, um, it was, it was, um, part of the, the queer underground of the seventies and then got sort of picked up by the mainstream and then uh, you know but yeah. I, I think there is something about i will survive that was worth taking back i would say <laughs> um yeah i don't know i versus I, versus the bgs who were mainstream all their lives and they did jumped on someone else's trend yeah yes you know i've i've heard some decent covers of uh staying alive oh yeah oh yeah capital cities they do a good one that theirs is a little slower you remember them they're the, the safe and sound band sure and uh, actually, speaking of 90s, uh, Staying Alive had a big comeback in the 90s also, but that was uh, 
from uh from everyone's favorite rapper Wyclef Jean. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that entirely. Do you remember that We Trying to Stay Alive? Of course. I saw that song come up in a movie just the uh this year or the last. It was in Valerian. The Oh my gosh. It was the weirdest music cue in the world. Wyclef Jean's We Trying to Stay Alive. And for the record, that song I I always liked Wyclef's stuff. <laughs> Even when it got really bad, so I, I really like that song. Wyclef so, is a pop. So it's, so it's one of the best parts of Valerian, is what you're saying. Just Boy, one of the movies. best parts. It's better than the replacements. I'll give it that. But yeah, I mean, look, man, it's got a great opening, and Rihanna's in it. That's always <laughs> like my rule of thumb is: is Rihanna in it? I'll check it out. Yeah, those. That's my rule. It's my one rule. That's why I also watched Ocean's Eight, even though I knew that was going to be the most. Mm, it's fine. Yes, it was incredibly meh. It was it was the most sure <laughs> of movies, but Rihanna was in it, and that was great. And she was called Nine Ball, and that was yeah, she was yeah. a hoot. You know, I'm complaining about I will survive being beaten into the ground. Like staying alive hasn't also been completely destroyed. Absolutely, yes, it's all over the place. Um, but remember, yeah, remember when we saw Ready Player One and they threw oh that? Oh my in, they, gosh. They sure did. I don't know why I said, oh my gosh, like I was like Jimmy Fallon, like <laughs> interviewing a person and thinking they were hilarious. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's the second time I made a dig at Jimmy Fallon. It's almost <laughs> like I work at NBC and I just resent. You his, really his, don't like Jimmy Fallon, do I you? I just don't <laughs> like when people are famous and I've, and, and, uh, and, uh, I've never heard a good thing about them even once. Uh, but that's a, that's, thank goodness. Hopefully no one from NBC will listen to this, but I've never heard a good thing about that man. But I mean, you know, I have good things about Gloria Gaynor. <laughs> Her good things about her. We already talked about it. She's, she single-handedly saved Texas. So yeah, I well, hope she keeps doing it. Yeah. I she I think the world really needs Gloria Gaynor. Do you have any notes from, uh, uh, from the, the, the peanut gallery, anything that anyone have to say? Oh, nope. No notes. No, everyone, no, everyone didn't have like anything to say except they were very, very seriously intense about how much they loved these songs. I didn't get a single one that was like "boo disco" or "boo I hate either of these songs." Some of them liked one more than the other. Some of them liked both very much. This is wild. Yeah, that's a crazy thing you've said. What an interesting thing that's occurred. <laughs> I guess we just grew up at the absolute worst time. To absorb disco because I really hated disco growing up because I was told to. I was told it was bad. <laughs> I was told you should take those records and burn them, melt no, them down to scrap. You know, and even like I said, I grew up trying to mimic Robert Hayes, mimicking John Travolta. I did not admit to like stay, like staying alive for a very long time. I was like, yeah, it's okay. I, I really like that scene in the movie, but I didn't wasn't really on board with you know staying alive. That's okay. And Dancing Queen is okay. I Will Survive is okay. And it, it took me a really long time to come around on them. Man, thank goodness. Thank goodness for the queer community. Once again, just single-handedly saving uh, everything, in this case, disco. Yeah, um, yeah that's pretty interesting. Uh, what, a, what a wild change. Who would have thought that um, the least cool genre of music for a whole decade, a whole decade of being completely despised, well, you know, like I said, like the gay rights movement really coming into its own, like going mainstream in the in the late 90s and going further and it keeps getting more and more to the point where you got Glee now. 
But like, you know, a reassessment of gay rights led to a reassessment of disco. That's absolutely a thing that happened. Yeah. I mean, Pose is on now. It's also a Ryan Murphy thing. So so there you go. (laughs) Ryan Murphy doing his thing. So, um, all right. I I think we've talked it to death. What are the results? All right. Staying Alive came in with 414 votes. I Will Survive got to 530. So 56% to 44%. Gloria Gaynor will survive. I can't believe I will survive again. <laughs> I, have, I have somehow managed to come out victorious. Have you every, won every single time? Every single one. I can't believe this. And it's really not as though I'm selecting the one that I think is going to win. And often, in this case, I didn't select at all. Yeah. I just had to take the scraps that you gave me <laughs> and make the most of them. And I came out the winner. I think that the, the fine people have sensed <laughs> that I'm the better the better debater, that I'm the master debater of this of this pairing, and, and that's why now I'll never win. I mean, again. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not complaining. They're both they're both good. Yeah, they're both very good. Um, well, that's kind of cool. I I'm really I'm surprised. I wonder why it went that way. Um, if anybody wants to um, write to me <laughs> specifically and be like, you were right, and here's why. I love being told I was right and then a long description for how right I am and why. It's one of my favorite well, things. Get ready to, uh, well, let's see which one you'll pick. But I, I think we, I already know which one's going to win, but we'll see. Oh, what's what's next? Next week on Song vs. Song, we are doing Down Under by Men at Work versus Africa by Toto. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> oh, well, you. Well, here's the thing. I I think I know what you suspect that I'm going to pick. Mm-hmm. But I think you're wrong. I am a, a Colin Hay fan from way back. I think I might be going for the land down under. Well, I have recently learned to appreciate Africa quite a bit. So I will see you there. All right. <laughs> yes. Okay. So then that's the end of the episode. Uh, you yeah. want to reveal where people can find us on All the right. internet? You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us anywhere. We're on digital. We're on the Digital Music News podcast. Find us wherever you find podcasts. Uh, I'm Todd in the Shadows. You can find me on YouTube under that name or under at Shadow Todd at Twitter dot com. Uh, yeah, you can find um, all of my find podcasting and uh, and YouTube and uh, hot take work at SciFi dot com. That's with two Y's because branding. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Danny Ordinary. That is Danny with one N, Ordinary also with one N. See you then. Bye.